So in the monastery, as you probably well aware, this is called the Rains Retreat, Vasa, and uh, the typical manner of monastic life. These these uh, Vasas, like our lives are rather. Time is goes in circles. It's cyclical. Yeah, we don't really go round and round. It's another one. Uh, and so with every rasa, you like you just go back, stop. Where are we going? What's happening? And review. And a lot of this is is standard in this life. The routines. So the very similar forms: morning puja, evening puja, meal at this time. Goes round, round. Next day, same. Next day, same. I even don't hardly bother to remember the names of the days anymore because it doesn't really matter, mean anything. You know, you might know Saturday because it's the day we have the evening talk. That's it, just what's the Tuesday anyway? <laughs> it's like the written up in the sky, is it? These human creations. Actually, when you really look into the natural world, you see it is cycles summer, autumn, winter, spring, sunrise, sunset, budding, birth, buds, open flowers, seeds, leaves fall. Right? Turning circle, nature. And it's though it's it has this form to it. It's also rather fluid. It's a fluid structure. You know, like the, interesting enough, how we have these things like rains retreat. The, the day or the day changes every year because we operate according to the lunar calendar. So what that figures out in the solar calendar keeps shifting, and and so this kind of it's flowing. Yeah. You never quite can't always predict two years in advance when it's going to be. So it's always this fluid. But you know, it's going to happen. Yeah. And see, my mind's it's rather like the breath, breathing our own inner cycle. You know, you're going to breathe in and breathe out. But exactly how long or short, how long the pause is going to be, whether it's going to be fast or short, you don't really know. It's going to be fluid. And in this fluidity um, and bearing witness to that and um, connecting one's attention and intentions, one's mind to that, the mind becomes fluid, agile, light, natural. Let's be sensitive to the changing moment. Things are never quite sure. They're not supposed to be sure. What is certain is that. Going to change, shift, move, 
and so you stay alert, flowing, light. And when it's like that, the mind is also rather quiet, because it has to be quiet to listen and attend. And yet stay on track. You know, it's not drifting off, following its own impulses, following its obsessions. And this quality we call mindfulness. Stay on track. Mm-hmm. Bearing something in mind, but you realize what you're bearing in mind is going to be changing. It's fluid, it's natural. This means the mind is very agile, receptive, uh, attentive, has to be. Whereas uh, uh, an untrained mind, a mind that's not trained in this, will tend to look for fixed systems, tell me what to do, uh, what's the way to do this, what's the rule, what's the fixed thing, I want to know it in advance, so I'll get it right, quickly, I have to put as least attention to anything, so it's automatic, and so we become robots. Yeah. And this tendency in the machine age, in the technological age, you tether yourself to a a machine, a phone, or a system, or a structure, you start marching along in line with that. And what does that do? How, how does the mind feel like that? It's often rushed along, run along, moved along, hurried along. It loses its agility. It may be moving fast, but it's really like a puppet being dragged quickly and, and thrown around by the machines. Not just physical machines, but the mechanism of, you know, 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock. You know, it's a fixed thing. Where is it? <laughs> you realise that real time is the time it takes you to breathe in and breathe out. Body time, life time. And it's cycles turning. This quality of mindfulness, of, as we've been reviewing some of the teachings, which there are a whole cluster of discourses based around, you know, Buddha advocating this, and famously says, this is the direct, straight way. This is the direct way that doesn't deviate, the direct way towards the purification of the mind, the elimination of sorrow and stress, and Nibbana. Hmm. So that's a big thing, isn't it? Straight, direct, undeviating way towards the purification of beings, elimination of sorrow and stress, suffering and despair, Nibbana. So, I mean, something like that, wow. And of course, when we read these things like this, you're right, this is big time, you know, get, get psyched up on that, be super mindful. And right, we can get kind of pretty rigid, like we're focused on a particular thing, really mindful of that. No, not quite. Um, 
In fact, when you review the teaching on mindfulness, it's not really about a thing at all, it's about a way. In which you say, well, you really want to cultivate mindfulness for this particular purpose, then it's about four bases and three aspects. So, it's not one thing. And the four bases, four places to establish it in body and in feeling, that's the quality of pleasure or pain, agreeable or disagreeable, on mind, which is another topic, and on what we call dhammas. When you review it, these words dhammas means a particular experiences that are either conducive to purification or go against it, either experiences that mess you up or set you free. Yeah. And mind, he talked about the mind as being something that could be affected by love or hate, could be restricted or unrestricted. Mm-hmm. But it's not a thought, it's a sensitivity it could be affected. You could call it heart, awareness, something could be affected by hmm, perceptions, impressions. Hmm. And because it's so affected, and Buddha said this quality, this chitta, says I don't know anything that moves as fast as this. It's so changeable, I can't even find a word for it. It's just constantly like a pulsing, flickering quality that's being affected by. So clearly this is an exceptionally fluid system. So fluid that uh, it's effectively affected by everything. So one of the functions of mindfulness is to just limit what it's being affected by to give it some stability so you can begin to understand more clearly what affects it for its benefit or for its harm. This is the so for this Buddha said, you know you don't you don't touch what I'm talking about, you don't realise Nibbana unless you've cultivated mindfulness of body. He says it won't happen. And he said this many times. It's lost if you don't have mindfulness of body. Because mindfulness of body will give your mind something to anchor itself on. Uh, you know, and what do we mean by mindfulness of body? Give something to anchor on. We have a we will get recognition that there's such a thing as a body. It um, isn't operating at the same speed as the mind. It tends to slow it down and calm it. And it means your mind can no longer be so 100% swept away by thoughts, impressions, and emotions. But also, you have something to study, which is pretty relevant. Because clearly, this body seems to be me, it ages, sickens and dies. Mm. 
And really, because of that very uh, scenario, this is why the Buddha went forth. Is he aware of this? And he said, well actually, these um, things I've talked about, four establishments, we call them in three ways. Externally, internally, and both. It's a little bit enigmatic. Uh, Pali words are jata, internal, simply sometimes translated as here. Ahida, external, there. So, if we try to review what what we thought about, particularly reference to the body, well, you look around, you can definitely see bodies there. You look down this one, you can see a hand, foot, leg, knee, there it is. It's something that could be seen or can be viewed or experienced by senses such as sight and you think about it as an object picture picture imagine it and we can also experience it and this is somewhat uh, less clear as just this sensitivity an embodied experience a feeling of tension pressure, fatigue, brightness, vigour, feeling constricted, expansive, balanced, unbalanced. Where are these? Can these be seen? No. Touched? No. They can only be directly experienced in the body in itself. So the body actually as a, a subject. Uh, and we might say this in some ways, it's the very life force as it's being experienced through a nervous system. This vitality. And this is internal. And you can see quite clearly they're rather different experiences. They both count. You know, it's good to know where your feet are, and you've got where to put your socks and stuff. How tall you are. When you go to customs, they know when you look in your face, that's you. And you think to have. People know who you are. That's what they're for. And yet, of course, uh, the one who least sees this is me. Yeah. I'm looking out through this thing. It's, 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 a, it's a true enough statement, but it's, it's a statement of an external experience I don't actually have. Internal experience is something that's constantly there for me. Warmth, pressure, firmness, breathing in, breathing out, movements. Nobody else can sense that at all. Mm. 
very different thing from what I see. Warmth in my body is nothing like toenails. So it's uh, internal, external, very different. And as you begin to recognize that, which one is the true body? Is the one. Well, it seems to me there's a whole series of factors, visual factors, tactile factors, could be even odors, impressions, mental impressions, like my body is handsome, or it's getting old, or I'm too fat. Mental impressions derived on external, then there are those factors, the internal factors, the warmth, or the coolness, the tension, or the relaxation, the vitality, or the lack of it. It's a cascade of internal and external factors, all of them changing, all of them shifting. No fixed, finite thing at all. And as that is experienced, what kind of a person is that? No. Can't be, can it? Can't be a fixed entity, can't belong to anyone. It's constantly being affected by heat and cold, sickness and health. It's trembling, sensitive. It ages. Skin flakes off. Nobody owns it. And what is that experience? Sense of dispassion and coolness. What dies? Mm -hmm. Doesn't make sense. Things change. Internally and externally. We're seeing there's no there's no body, there's embodiment, various embodiment factors. And this, of course, as we come into body, and sometimes for people it's rather difficult even coming into into their body because there's so much um, somatic stress. Body goes. Or physically uncomfortable, it was dense or tight, or as you try to focus on what you're feeling, it just becomes swampy or you're dull, or you've got a lot of pressure in your head. Yeah. Or you feel your left side is stronger than your right side, you feel imbalanced, or there's a whole load of energy just burning and bustling and jumping, you can hardly sit still. Yeah. So I said, for this purpose, then. Maintain awareness of the whole body with a calm, steady mind. And it helps if you bring up skillful mind state, such as kindness, acceptance, confidence, ease, comforting. This definitely has an effect because you, your body will begin to feel calm. 
the mind affects the body just as fear or anger affects the body such as uh, nervousness affects the body so goodwill, kindness and uh, recollection, wisdom affects the body we become, we straighten up become sober we calm down, we get grounded furthermore in that condition you begin to experience breathing in and breathing out more easily and this steady flow through the body has a calming effect when the mind attunes to that it also feels calm and happy this way by training the mind and training the body to relate to these factors clearly, compassionately, kindly, with wisdom not dominating them, not rejecting them, not demanding I be this or that, this is me, I should look this, I should feel that, I shouldn't feel this, I should feel that. Not doing that, but sympathetic balance. We arrive at a state of coolness, a light, agility and a kind of happiness. The weight's off, the pressure's off the mind. And he said, this is conducive to a particular kind of feeling, feeling of called rapture, where the mind feels very bright and joyful. He said, of all feelings, this is the feeling that you can uh, regard as supportive. I teach pleasure. Because the mind is softened by pleasure. It's no longer harsh, it's comforted, it's no longer grasping, hungry. And particularly when this pleasure arises not because of something outside that we take hold of, but actually just through skillful mind states and steadying one's mindfulness in the body. This certain problems start to evaporate, such as restlessness, dullness, ill will, hankering, craving, fear, lack of confidence, these start to evaporate and the mind becomes very steady. Similarly, so you can cultivate mindfulness of feeling in these three ways. This feeling that arises that you can discuss, talk about, pain in my leg, go to a doctor, it's painting my tooth, it begins here, it ends there, or you go right into the feeling, just get the sense of something pulsing and throbbing, internally, externally, both, that throbbing is due to that experience in my shoulder, two together, so then we know what to do, but of course, um, the really um, significant thing is the internal, because this is very much where one feels trapped, overwhelmed by feeling. It's in me. This painful feeling is in me. Stop it. Make it go away. I'm being, being saturated in it. I'm just completely swept away by a painful feeling. Or pleasure. Great, I'm feeling fantastic. I want more of that. Really excited. 
got a load of praise yesterday, I want to do it again. Uh, you know, I got some renown, that was great, I really feel, I want more of that. Then we get excited and greedy and egotistical. So feeling has to be properly, mindfully understood. Feeling comes and goes. It, uh, if, it, if it's grabbed, it becomes myself. But if it's even this pleasant feeling is grabbed, it becomes myself, it's a problem. Because then we get obsessive, get drunk in it, indulgent, swept away with it, want more of it. Unpleasant feeling, we feel oppressed, crushed, humiliated, and so forth. So what's the way out? So well, in this very body, you can track. Because even mental feeling has an effect on the body. So as you notice, you know, if you're feeling high, energy rises, feeling low, energy sinks. Feeling your body. And the training is, well, for your whole body, find the balance, don't get lost in the feeling, don't get caught in the feeling. Yeah. It's rather like, because feeling is a, is a, the prime mover of our lives. It's the prime mover. You know, we may think we're moved by ideals, notions, but actually we're really really push you out by feeling. Physical feeling, mental feeling, even more. Being a winner, being on top, being praised, being liked. Whoa. Feeling kick. So, mental feeling, being, being left out, rejected, dumped, <laughs> abused, crushed. Where does this feeling, mental feeling, arise from perceptions? That is the perception of being a winner or a loser. Perceptions, I'm useless here. Perceptions, it's always up to me, I feel overwhelmed. I've got so much to do, crushed. Perceptions. Ah, tomorrow's my day off, fantastic. Perceptions. Purely mental creations. The mind creates its own basis for feeling. And feeling obsesses it. In other words, the mind creates its own system for losing balance. Flopping. So what's it like when, particularly in a Monasteries where you go on retreat, meditation retreat. Well, you know, here we are, day one, got here, that's great. It's great. I know what happens. Nothing. Uh huh. And, um, so then, where's, what, what was supposed to, what happens next? Uh, more nothing. Right, okay, that's kind of, I feel, I feel a bit restless now. <laughs> Surely there should be some sort of purpose or point. She should get something with this. Not really, no. What are you supposed to do? Just relax. Fall asleep. No, no, don't fall asleep. Just relax. 
what was supposed to do? Just relax. You can't relax because you want to feel something. You want to feel something more interesting than just this. So the mind starts creating something. There's nothing to do. I'm going to plan what I'm going to do when I get out of here. I'm going to remember what I should, what I, when I did I switch the fridge off when I left home? Uh, what was my aunt's birthday anyway? My neighbour's cat, what's its name? Uh, what was happening on the news? <laughs> something to get going on. A hunger to get something moving, shifting, something to get annoyed about, something to be excited about, something to be, have an opinion about. Something to have a view about, something to compare yourself with. Why? What is, what is happening? This push of the mind yeah, to feel something, even if it's negative. Yeah, feeling. Uh, and so we're saying, well, feeling has to be supervised. What mindfulness exerts authority over it? Feeling is a feeling. And if it's seen like that, you can understand the perceptions that give rise to it. Where's that? Just pure mental stuff, isn't it? And the results of that perception, feeling, we get activated. Mind gets stirred, our emotions keep, get rushed around. Happens in your body, you start to get heated up in your body, you get restless, you feel dull, you feel itchy, fidgety. There's something wrong with me. I'm not really going to do this, I can't do this stuff. The I am kicks in. What am I supposed to do? I know what I'm supposed to do. Well, try harder. Yeah, that's what I do. Try harder. To do what? I'll try harder to relax. That's what I need to do. Yeah, so relax, relax, relax. <laughs> Why can't I relax? There's something wrong with me. The end result of it always is something wrong with me or something wrong with the situation or something wrong with this, something wrong. Mm. This is called this process, Sankara, driving one into these, these places. Dukkha, suffering, stress. And so this is very uh, common, and so generally the, the response when we experience this is quick, where, where's, where's, how do I fix this? Is it weird? What, what, what am I supposed to do to fix it? I'll, I'll stop it. I'll stop it. That's what I'll do. I'll put it and stop it. And he puts it in. And what happens is the pressure builds up. And you still don't feel comfortable, so... Uh, okay, there must be some system I can do to make this thing go away. Uh, or maybe I'm just not good enough at it. So we get the whole effort trying to arrive at something that will make us feel contented, comfortable. And the very quality of that trying to do makes us feel uncomfortable. And of course, people can imagine, well, push hard enough, soon enough will be the breakthrough when it all just relax and ease up. So, this is where, of course, uh, you know, meditation itself can be a very 
uncomfortable experience if we assume it's about stopping things, controlling things, fixing things, or we sometimes people call it concentrating. I need to concentrate my mind to stop it running around. Then you realise in all his teaching, the Buddha didn't say that. He didn't give us a particular fix-it thing. He said, be mindful of it. In other words, keep referring to it. Notice how it's external factors, internal factors. So you get some balance. Just because somebody didn't say hello to you, it doesn't mean they hate you forever. It's just it could mean a number of things. It could mean they've forgotten, it could mean they were busy, it could mean they always thought they'd say hello to me. But you know, you realize how externally you start to see that's just that. Internally, this perception occurs. What's the arising of that perception? Is it really based upon that action? Or is it actually based upon how I interpret that action? If the action is somebody else's, well, I can't change that, can I? If it's somebody else's action, well, I could change, perhaps, is the way I interpret it. In fact, perhaps I didn't interpret it as anything. <laughs> Not bothered to interpret it, if it's that. And, but naturally, the, the mind tends to establish contact impressions based upon how it's previously interpreted things. We build up a kind of library of what things mean and should be. We look for a fixed system. And we interpret things according to our inner library of right and wrong. And that we've learned. We've picked it up. Social conditioning, personal conditioning. The Buddha, in fact, said contact is about karma. The arising of contact is the arising of karma. That is, when you get this impression of something touching you and you get this internal flaring up, this means some, something's just pushed a button. That pushing of a button is called karma. And it's arisen because of previous events, previous conditioning, you've inherited, acted upon, you've got a particular program that's been established to always feel offended by this, delighted by that, confused by that, worried by that. And around that familiarity of that pattern, familiarity of that habit, familiarity of that karma, because it's familiar and internal, it must be me. Because it's familiar and it's internal. And where if I walk around, it's there with me. So it's me, isn't it? Rightly understood, the Buddha says, well, it's factors, internal factors arising, conditioned by causes, coming from karma, this has to be understood as this. 
then this is of course how mind comes into it. Mind is affected by these karmic forces, these sankharas, these patterns and habits, affected by perceptions, and therefore it starts to rock and freeze and jump. Or alternatively, ease. So in understanding this, we realize our very state of being, this mind, highly affected, can be tracked, its effects can be tracked in our bodies, in our body sense things, our internal body, and if we cultivate mindfulness of body, we can also learn how to Breathe out, relax, feel the whole body is, instead of getting tense and pushy and forceful, be mindful. This is a bodily impression arising and passing. Don't grab hold of it. The fixing mind, the trying to do it in mind, trying to get it right mind, it shouldn't be this way, it's all get out mind, it shouldn't happen to me mind, this kind of pressurized force mind. It's rather like someone who's fallen into quicksand. They think, well, if I run harder, I'll get out of it. They just go down. The more agitation, the more pressure they put, the more they go down into that into that quicksand, into that swamp, into that mire. What well, is the correct procedure? If you land in such a mess, you go wide. You flatten your body, you reach out. You spread yourself wide, just as if somebody's fallen into a swamp, reaches out somewhere out there there's some dry land. They reach for that. They widen, they soften, they go quiet. And this is very, this is a mindful procedure referring to where there is safety, where there is steadiness, somewhere in this body there is steadiness, somewhere in this embodiment there is a place of, of earth and groundedness, somewhere around here there is a sense of space and ease, somewhere in here there is breathing in and breathing out, rhythmic process. Don't go into the vortex, the swamp of obsessions and doubts and tangles Find the place where you can step back from them. Stay there, steady up, and you'll find that the obsessions are no longer being fed by fascination, by irritation, by identification. They will subside. And you'll understand that was caused by that. That's not me. But that was caused by that. When somebody was trying to help me work out some schedules, schedules for teaching engagements, because I get all these teaching engagements, I get so confused by all these numbers of things. So they created, trying to create a calendar. And 
with various dates and numbers and June and May and August and July Dear, it's like the rules. Be here, be there, 19th of this, that, and the other. Really, they're offering it to try and make things clear. Very good intention. I'm feeling really funny. It's just like, see so these lines, these numbers, I'm starting to feel trapped. I'm in some grid, I'm in some system, and it's not an abstract system, it's just virtual reality with fixed days that you have to go from this to that, and there's lots of them. That's it. feeling really uncomfortable with it. And then I looked at it again and thought, well, just think. You go there, that's where Jack and Sally live. Oh, nice to see them. And just reviewing in terms of going to places and meeting people, the whole scenario changed from being a trapped one to, oh, that'd be really interesting, wonderful to be in Ireland or America or Canada or somewhere like that. So they shifted, the perception shifted from feeling trapped in some automatic linear grid into this wonderful scenario of you know, friends and people and, and happy conditions. Perception, one, which is the true one. <laughs> you just know that they are just uh, their perceptions only and their mind. Oh. There's nobody going anywhere. Really? Is it? There's no future, is there really? There's no Italy or America really, is there? Yeah, they're just mental factors, perceptions. That affect the mind, excited, depressed. And if we really think, look, you know, the most important thing, the only thing that's you can have to live with, is your is your mind. If you get that balanced and straight, you understand it. Is if you care for it, you don't get caught in systems, structures, perceptions, and identities. Mm. This is Nibbana. You practice it through knowing this is the mind. This is the mind affected by this. This is the mind affected by that. This is the mind that feels expansive and bright. That will change. This is the mind that feels contracted and narrow. That's changed, cause and effect. None of this is self, none of this is mine. None of it ever could be permanent. And something seems to step back. And you realize you have a very fluid 
uh, scenario. It's so important because you also recognize how perceptions contract you, and then you get acclimatized to them. So it's quiet, you know, quiet, as it's starting to be. Monasteries, particularly, you know, it's quiet, and then oh, crash, and then so we've got a mobile phone. Mobile phone. And somebody phone me, crash, bang. Yeah. Mommy, mommy, I put their kids in as well. There's <laughs> <laughs> this noisy, disrespectful people who are terrible. <laughs> Shouldn't be allowed. I didn't come in. Whoa, let's look at it another way. <laughs> Just review. <laughs> I think, oh, you know, busy mom. Rushed here to offer Dharma to feed the monks. Yeah, this grandhorn rushed here, had to rush him to get here on time to offer his Dharma. Came to sit in the Dharma hall just there, some peace and quiet. Forgot he left her phone on. <sighs> Couldn't he just be a little bit kinder to her? You need to do all that. That mine. Is that really necessary? You know, reversing, changing perceptions. And today, of course, we had our you know, the meditation retreat and then seeing the Sangha Trust meeting. So some monks had to go to the English Sangha Trust meeting. Started at nine, finished at six. It was nine to six. Yeah, you know, clearly you can sit there thinking, oh, I'm going to meditate, meditation, 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 you can get into that, or you can think, change, oh, service, I'm here to serve. Ah, feel good, serving, helping, places to run properly, good-natured people come to offer their services, monastery, deal with nitty-gritty stuff, how beautiful. How beautiful to be in a cooperative situation with people who are handling the wonderful donations and generosity that other people have offered and giving their services to that. Oh. Ah. Oh. Not in tired, but that's how you do it. When it's mindful, one knows the difference between Perceptions that gladden the mind, and perceptions that wound and cripple the mind. Knowing a perception is a perception, knowing it's caused and created, knowing it's not self, knowing it's not a true rendition of the world, you seize the moment to, wait a minute, I'm getting wound up. I'm getting tense, I'm, my mind's getting nasty. Stop. Change it. Look at it again, review it again. And this is the, the, so that we're not, you know, letting our minds follow on karmic habits and grasping patterns of getting in my way, 
and territorial instincts and my space, my peace, my time. Yeah. I mean, not you realise the need to see the one problem in all this isn't really pleasure and pain. It isn't really energy. It's self that makes a mess of everything. You know, when you're sick, you're sick, mindfully sick, rather than feeling miserable and fed up because you're not well. You're mindfully sick of feeling energy sensations moving through the body, and that's the way it is. It's like that. And you're mindfully careful of how you deal with that. You experience compassion and kindness towards yourself, and you bear with it. When you're busy, doing lots of stuff, then you have to be mindfully busy. It's like this, all stuff is happening now. It's like this, energy is moving fast, mind is thinking. It's just this. Stop. Stop. Rather difficult resentment, problems, so forth, oppression. So this way to pull out the root of craving and the root of suffering. So this way mindfulness properly established begins to discern what's dharmas are skillful, what dharmas are not skillful, what causes the mind to rock around, what causes it to steady, what causes unpleasant feelings to become riveted, what causes pleasant feelings to become captivating, what causes body to be a source of anxiety, comparison, distaste, vanity, fear over its decline. What causes that? What is the prime cause of all that? This grasping, trying to make a fixed thing out of something that's actually a fluid, natural, operating, turning system. And as we begin to flow with that, the gripping, the tension, the fear and resistance leaves our lives. And a sense of fixed self leaves our lives. And the weight off the mind, there's a burden off the mind. And for this is why the Buddha taught it.